reading tonight is from Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. So that's Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, which is on page 1047. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will. Be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, 
go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's start with a prayer. Oh, first of all, can you hear me? Yes, good. Lord God, open our ears, our eyes and our hearts that we may hear and receive your word, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pads, for inviting me to come and speak this evening. It's really good to be here with you all. This is really quite different from what I'm used to. (laughs) I've preached a couple of times before at the church that I usually go to, which is St Mary's in the Butts. And um, when I've preached before, it's been in the context of a traditional communion service um, with beautiful worship, but worship that is very different from um, this evening. And where a 10-minute sermon, a nice, concise 10-minute sermon is really what's called for, and our boy choristers will remind me if it, if it goes over 10 minutes, <laughs> where I wear a white cassock owl like the other lay assistants, so you can't see that. I like blue. You also can't see whether I've ironed my clothes or not, or whether my socks match. And it's in the safety of the pulpit, where nobody can see whether I'm relying on my notes or not. So here I am stepping out, doing something a bit different. And Pads has very kindly told me about what you normally do, and I'll try my best, but this may be a little bit different from what you're used to. But bear with me, because I think tonight's gospel is about stepping away from the familiar patterns and customs and structures that we're very comfortable with, but that sometimes can form a bit of a barrier to God. I think it's about listening to Jesus' sometimes really quite challenging call and then responding with open hearts. So Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee and he's being watched carefully Now, when I first read this, I thought, ah, this is like later on in the Gospels when they're watching to catch Jesus out. But having talked with Pads and thought about it a bit more, I'm hoping that actually they perhaps invited Jesus or perhaps Jesus had arrived. We don't know whether it's which way this invitation worked. That there's an openness and exploration and an interest to find out what Jesus stands for and what, what he's got to say. And we've certainly got plenty of opportunity in this passage, all 24 verses of it, um, to hear about that. It's four, or is it five, little lessons in there about the kingdom of God. And we've got Jesus being watched very closely, but I think also we've got Jesus listening and watching very closely what's going on with the Pharisees, that, that group of Jews, and then preaching to them in a way that would make sense and speak into their experience. But having said that, I think if we take a step back, there's also some really powerful messages in there for us as the Christian church as we seek to follow Christ and renew and build up that church. So there's a man who's got an abnormal swelling of his body. Some translations say it's dropsy. Um, It's a swelling. I don't know a huge amount about that, but it doesn't sound very pleasant. It sounds quite painful. But it doesn't sound life-threatening, and it doesn't sound like it's an emergency either. And it's the Sabbath. So what do we do? Well, we know that for Jews, 
work is not allowed on the Sabbath day. Now I thought, okay, it's okay, I can quickly swat up on this law and find out how all this works. Wrong. (laughs) I found 39 different instances of what work might be. Um, So I concluded from doing that reading that the Jewish interpretation of work that is not allowed is to do with creation, as in creation that God did did on the, the six days in the Genesis account. But it's really complicated and requires experts in the law to um, interpret it for people. So we've got Jesus saying to these experts in the law who are there with this man who's got this swelling, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they don't answer. Silence. They're not engaging. And Jesus moved with compassion. Well, Jesus can only love. Heals the man. And sends him on his way, which makes me think, ah, so he wasn't an invited guest. He's somebody we'll put over there. Maybe somebody who doesn't really matter. Maybe that's why there was silence in response. So Jesus says, he doesn't say, let's make it closer to home, but that's my interpretation. Let's make it closer to home. Okay, experts in the law, what happens if it's your child or it's your ox that's fallen in the well on the Sabbath day? Are you going to leave them there or is it, is it okay to rescue them and still there's silence a friend of mine went to Jerusalem earlier in the year and he was telling me how in his hotel there was one lift that on the Sabbath day was specially marked out that it would stop on every floor so that you could use the lift but um, you didn't need to press any buttons because pressing buttons is, is, is not allowed Now, my question was, so what happens if the lift goes wrong and you're stuck? Are you allowed to press the emergency button to call for help? It's not a life-threatening emergency. So within the Jewish law, um, not only are you allowed to do what you wouldn't normally do to save a life on the Sabbath day, but it's actually required that you save a life. So it seems really obvious to us. How, How could you not, if there is a person there who needs help and you can help them, how could you not respond to that but then I thought hmm, you know what there are times when I read something in the gospel and actually my response is silence I think oh I wish Jesus hadn't said that but he has I mean maybe an example today is you're walking down the street and there's somebody begging maybe in the centre of Reading and you think oh what can I do to help but actually I'm in a hurry and I could start a conversation and who knows where that conversation might go and I might get asked for money and I might get asked for food and silence, silence. So that's where we are in the gospel too, in this reading. The food's ready now and people have started choosing seats and Jesus is watching closely and he tells this parable about the wedding banquet and these seats of honour and less honour and how everybody wants the the best seats and how if you choose the seats of least honour you save yourself the humiliation of being asked to move and you also give the opportunity if you're honest about who you really are for God to raise you up and we've got here an echo of Mary's great song the Magnificat casting down the mighty and lifting up the lowly feeding the hungry and the rich will go empty away and I don't know for definite but I think that's probably an echo of Isaiah the prophet 
So why, why were they not responding? And I was thought to myself, you know, why, why do we need hierarchy? Why, why, do, we, why do we have all this? This is, the, this is the way this works. This is the, the order it all goes in. And we've kind of moved a bit away from that today. And then I thought, no, no, we haven't. There are so many examples of this is better than that and that's better than that. Just to take one example, a very simple example. There's a sociologist called Irving Goffman. I'm a sociologist in my day job, so forgive me. And he's written really quite a lot about what we do in public places when we encounter people who we don't know. And you might be surprised, but there are quite a lot of rules that govern what we do. So one of the areas he's written about is what we do when we get on a bus or a train and which seats we sit in first. And of course, oh dear, I'm thinking, I can hear myself, I can see myself here again. If there, are two, if there are double seats, one person will sit in each double seat first until those are all filled up, and that's the way it works. And if you should go and sit next to somebody else when there are still empty seats left, well, that's against the rules, and I think people start to think, well, that's a bit weird. Why are you doing that? That's a bit of a threat. Why are you being all friendly with me? Why is it odd what, to, be, to be friendly? So sometimes when I get on the train, I'll put my bag next to me on the seat, following the rules, you see. And actually, I'd quite like to have some space. And sometimes I notice the buses, the train's getting busy. So I'll move my bag out of the way. But sometimes I don't. And somebody comes along and says, could I, could I sit here? And I say, yes, of course. And move my bag. But inside, I'm thinking, mm, that's making me feel like a really horrible person because I didn't think, I didn't offer, I didn't provide that opportunity to let somebody sit there. How much space do we really need? One seat is quite enough. And if we were to sit, all the people who are on their own sat together, that would be a wonderful gift for the people with young children, the couples, the people who are travelling as friends together. But it doesn't work like that, unfortunately, until we engage with the gospel. So... Having dealt with where everybody's sitting and told this parable, Jesus goes a bit further and talks to his host. So I'm wondering, again, was Jesus invited to this meal? Or did he turn up? Or did somebody say, oh, come along? I don't know. I wonder whether the host's view was different after Jesus had left. I don't know whether he expected to be told you shouldn't be inviting your friends and the people who you want to come. And I don't know whether he considered he wanted Jesus to come or not, but he did. And he told these parables. And we're here tonight hearing about them. So what a wonderful gift. There's quite a hard message in there. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your relatives. I've got my aunts and uncles staying this weekend, and they're, they're here this evening. And we stayed with them in Scotland in March. It's really nice catching up with family and friends. It's really nice allowing them to introduce you to new people. I'm not sure Jesus is saying you can't catch up with your friends and family. But it's about what's going on in there. Friendship is about exchange a lot of the time. Are we focusing on giving gifts to each other, on showing off our lavish culinary skills? Or are we focusing on the really important stuff? on loving each other, on offering love openly. 
And if we really mean that seriously, then we should be offering that to people who can't repay us. The kingdom is open to all. It's not just the chosen people of Israel. It's not just the people who will keep the social rules. It's the people, even more so, it's the people who will sit next to other people first on the, on the train. So Jesus is saying, invite in the blind, the poor, the crippled and the lame. The people who would have been considered a really low social status in that society and who, I think if we're honest today, we're still not very good at valuing their gifts properly and understanding that they may have a very powerful message for us about trusting God and what's important. Last week I heard a worship song which went along the lines of, don't worry, I'm not going to try and sing it, but went along the lines of, we love Jesus because he loved us first. And part of me thought, that's a wonderful song. I really love that. It's really simple. Yep. And another part thought, it feels a bit transactional. Doesn't feel quite right. Jesus' love is so overwhelming that how could we possibly not respond? Jesus has died to save us all. And our little weak response, it, it's not a transaction. It doesn't, it doesn't sum it up at all. So Jesus has told his host that he shouldn't have invited his friends and family. He should invite the poor and the blind and the lame and the crippled. He should open his doors and welcome everyone in. And finally, it's no longer silence. We get a response. Somebody says, blessed are those who will feast in the kingdom of God. Sounds fairly uncontroversial. But Jesus reminds us that Perhaps not who we would expect to see feasting in the kingdom of God. So he tells another parable about this great feast and people being invited. And at the last minute, oh, sorry, I've got to go and, what was it? I've got to go and test out my oxen. So is that a bit like I've just bought a new car that I would have test driven? And you could drive the car to the, maybe you can't drive oxen to a beast, but (laughs) these are pretty poor excuses. I've just got married, so I can't come. So the host is angry, and he says, right, okay. Well, go out, servant, go and find the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled. And they come, and still there is space. Go out and make people come in. Now, I wonder, how did these people, who hadn't been initially invited, I wonder how they felt being told, come, there's a feast on, now we want you to come. Were they excited? Were they reluctant? Were they a bit suspicious? Why do you suddenly want us to come to your house when you've never invited us before? Were they maybe even a bit kind of annoyed, angry? Maybe they were angry about the burdens that they were carrying. I wonder how we feel when Jesus invites us in, when Jesus calls us. Are we excited, reluctant, suspicious, frustrated, angry? I don't know. And how do we answer that call? Do we offer ourselves? Do we open our homes, open our arms, give what we can? Well, I had a lesson about offering. A hard lesson. Last um, Saturday evening, when I was in the process of preparing this sermon, I'd been out out for a friend, out with a friend for the evening. And we were in Abington, just south of Oxford, and my friend lives in Southampton, so I was going to drive her back to Reading Station on the A Road. I should say that I'm a new driver 
And I'm generally all right unless I'm parking in tight spaces or I have to go on busy motorways, especially the M4. So the plan was I was going to drive her back to Reading, but it was 10 o'clock and the last direct train, I wasn't going to get her there in time for her to get the last direct train back to Southampton. So we had a bit of a fiddle around on the phone and worked out which trains were going where. Got the sat-nav going. It's all right, we can get to Basingstoke in 50 minutes in time to get that direct train to Southampton, get you home, absolutely fine, fantastic. should say that my friend is very pregnant and was suffering in the heat and wanted to get home safely and easily. All is fine. We set off calmly out of Abingdon onto the slip road, onto the A34. And I'm thinking, OK, right, <coughs> fine, here we go, here we go, this is all right, this is fine. But I know what's next. I think the sat-nav has an obsession with the M4. It's going to be the M4. It really is. OK, so I'm driving down the A34, chatting away to my friend, praying, thinking, this is going to be all right, this is going to be all right, I can do this. This isn't out of my comfort zone. Sorry, it is out of my comfort zone, but it's not dangerous. And I can do this, and it's going to be all right. We got down the A34, came off at Newbury, onto the A339, nice little quiet road. So I didn't have to go on the M4 at all, but I was willing to go on the M4 in the end, after a bit of... So, even though I didn't end up having to drive on the M4, I learned an important lesson about offering willingly and not going, OK, right, I'll only do it if X, Y and Z. I freely offered to help my friend and I carried through on that. So, we've been given lots of lessons here. We've had, can you heal on the Sabbath? We've had, where do you sit? We've had, who are you going to invite? Lots of lessons, lots of invitations to follow Jesus and to make his love known in the world. We've been really challenged to leave aside our social conventions, what we're comfortable with, what's easy, perhaps, and in humility to be who we really are and let God raise us up. Maybe not straight away, not on our timescales, not in a way we can control, on God's timescales. So what will we do with that? And when we offer to help, when we offer ourselves to God, when we offer ourselves to Christ's church, do we prefer to go for the jobs that we know? It's safe, we know what's involved, we know how much time it's going to take. And we know that if we do it, it'll be done properly. And if somebody else does it and we do something new, it might not be done properly. Or can we dare to stretch our arms out, eyes open, and be prepared to be surprised and blessed and to learn more and to grow and to help other people to grow? I'd like to close with a prayer, which I believe was written by Richard of Chichester. And if you know it, perhaps you'd like to join him. I should have said in advance so you could put it up there. But anyway. Day by day, dear Lord, of you three things I pray. To see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Day by day. Amen. <laughs>